Amen. Man, thank you guys. It felt so good to be back today. Like uh, when we signed with Zen, we knew that there were going to be some dates that we'd be out of pocket or out of the building, and there were three out of like the past five Sundays, so it feels good to be back. And so we know that summer is also that time when people take vacations, so man, we don't know where everybody is today, but we're glad you are here. And real quick, too, we want to make at least one couple feel very awkward this morning. The Newtons are on the back row, and we'll go ahead and embarrass them up front. Zane and Jen Newton, baby Finn's probably in the back. They are leaving us to go to the magical land of Greenwood, and so... Job opportunities await, and life awaits, and so if you see them today, go ahead and wave your hands, just right there, yeah, Zane and Jen, they've been, they've been a part of the Origins family for a while, and they welcomed a baby in the past year and a half, and so it's been good to watch them grow, but make sure you let them know we'll miss them, and, uh, and that you'll, you'll pray for them in, in magical land of Greenwood, so we'll miss you guys, I'm glad y'all are here today. Uh, we are back in uh, Mark chapter 7 today, uh, we're going to look at verse 24, and when we set out to do this, we knew a couple things, we knew that... A, this was going to take a while, and we're okay with that. Um, it's going to take a year plus to get all the way through Mark. We're going to do it well, bit by bit. Uh, but we also knew that there were going to be five or six, like, sticky passages. And by sticky, I mean this. Like, when you read them the first time, you're like, what? What? I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's going on here. And so we've covered a few of those already. Today is another one of those. Um, today's kind of a continuation of thought, what Andrew started for us two weeks ago. Uh, the previous passage, Jesus was confronting some oral law kind of a things with the Jewish folk and uh, the ways that they had added to the law that was passed down from God, and they had expanded and expanded and expanded and created a very legalistic idea of do this, don't do this, so that God will find you acceptable. And Andrew did a great job just talking about legalism as us depending on the law and depending on our do's and don'ts instead of depending on the grace of God. And so today, Jesus is going to continue this thought process to address some ideas that were started there, but geographically it's in a different place. Um, some time has passed, uh, but still a very unifying idea is going to be there. And I'm, I'm going to give you a literary technique today uh, that sometimes we need to use when we read Scripture, and that is uh, use what we know to inform what we don't. Use what we know to inform what we don't. There will be a lot of times if we apply Scripture to our lives and we start reading the entirety of God's Word, there's going to be some things that are, that are pretty clear. You know, some do's and do nots and some reasons behind that and how we find Jesus, how we find hope, they seem relatively clear. They're hard for us to do sometimes, but they're pretty clear. But then there's some other places that just, to be honest, like to be real, there's some places in Scripture to where given our removal from the culture at times, our, our lack of understanding of the, the, the nature of language, all of those things, sometimes we just read things and we're just like, I don't, I don't understand. Like, confessionally, there's some Old Testament prophecy when I read it. Like, I'll, I'll just be honest. I read it, and I'm like, I have no idea what is going on here. Um, but I've kind of come to the conclusion, like, I need to let what I know about God, the truth that is evident that he has revealed through Scripture, through his Spirit working in me, I need to let that inform the things that I don't know and not let these things that are confusing overrule the things that are clear. And so today, we get to do that in a couple ways. One way, we get to take the things that we already know about God uh, through Jesus, the things that he's done, the things that he said, and we let that apply to a place that gets a little sticky. Um, but also, we can even read this text in its entirety, and we can kind of go in reverse a little bit and start with the outcome, the thing that's very clear, to let that help us understand what came right before it. And so all of that to say, when we read through this text in just a second, just, just hold on, okay? There's going to be something that's said, maybe it, won't, maybe it won't sound weird to you, but if we read it well, we're going to hear it and we're going to be like, man, I don't know how to feel about that. We're going to, we're going to talk about it, so just, just hold on. 
Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in and, and read this text today. God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. We thank you for your word uh, that you have given us so that we can know you and know who you are and know who we are as a result, um, but also, God, so that we can make you known. Uh, thank you that you, you did uh, consider us in need to write a love letter to us inspired through men so that we could come to know who you are. God, today I pray that we look at it well. And not only do we look at it well, but we do ask in, in, in good nature and with good intent, God, what do we do with this? Um, and Father, that you would provide answers for us in that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you so much for Jesus, uh, the word made flesh. And God, thank you that we can trust in him so that we can know you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24, and we're going to go through verse 30. And we're just going to go ahead and read through this text and kind of just talk about what's going on. But again, don't cut me off when you hear something that's just like, wow, that's really rude. Just, just hold on. Just hold on. So it says, and from there, talking about the place that he was speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes in the previous text, it says, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And, she, and he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home, found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. So, maybe for you, it doesn't sit weird for Jesus to refer to a group of people as dogs, okay? Uh, let, me, let me go ahead and get a couple things out of the way. Number one, he's not talking about pets, okay? So let's go ahead and remove that off the table. Uh, in this culture, dogs were not uh, found uh, and rescued, like, that's not the way that they did it. People didn't buy a purebred whatever for two grand or four camels. They didn't do that, okay? They didn't go to a shelter and pay money to rescue a dog that would be put down otherwise. Dogs lived in the street, and dogs ate scraps. Dogs were kicked. Dogs were shooed away. Dogs were not revered. So let's go ahead and just say this. The statement that he made, um, the intent of that statement, not necessarily from his mouth, but the intent in the culture at the time was to let people know if they were outside of the people of God, if they were Gentiles, non-Jewish people, which we'll get to, if they were those people, the way the Jews looked at them was, you're street dogs, you're savages. No one really wants you. Uh, you're tolerated for the most part. And, and to be honest, like around the world, like most places, unless it's a hyper-developed country, they don't really have pets like we do. Like, you know... I love dogs. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm a dog guy. I think cats, they belong in a barn. But anyway, we're not going to get to that because it's very divisive, and I don't want to be that guy. But I love dogs. And we have a 14-year-old blind uh, dog that she, we've loved her greatly, and I know that one day she's going to pass, and we're going to cry a lot of huge tears, and we'll replace her quickly uh, to put salve on that wound. But either way, like, love dogs. But in this statement, not a positive idea. Okay, so when we hear it, yeah, there's some, there's some stuff there. So let's get to that. But before he did, like, understand a few things. Like, he left this huge conversation, um, maybe a few days removed, in which he was talking to a group of very, very religious people about oral law and about food and that kind of stuff. And one of the statements that he made is like, it's not what you eat that defiles you. Because everything, basically everything that I've made now, it's clean. Jesus is, is kind of taking some things, fulfilling them to their fullest, and saying, look, what you eat is not important. It's what comes out of your mouth 
that defiles you or proves that you're defiled because it comes out of your mouth because it, it came from your heart. And Andrew did a great job of just saying, look, if it came out of your heart, understand it had to get there somehow. So it is about what we see, what we hear, the things that we perceive. It gets in, it comes out. That's proof of our defilement. And basically he was saying, look, you, you guys, um, you're thinking way too hard about the things that are unclean and, and what you should do, what you should not do. You need to just kind of, you need to think about me and my words. And so today he's going to a place completely uh, devoid of that thought to a degree because he's leaving kind of his home base of operations, the very Jewish-influenced kingdom of the Jews and even Jerusalem, Galilee, and he's leaving. He's going to the place where non-Jews live. And so in this particular place, he's going uh, to a place in the Old Testament. There were tons of judgments pronounced against the people living in this place because they had done some terrible things against the people of Israel, and there were like some very harsh words for the people that lived there. Matthew actually calls this woman a Canaanite, referring way back to Old Testament ideas like, you people, you're terrible, and you're under long judgment of God because of what you did to the children of Israel. So this is where he's going, modern-day Lebanon, um, probably 22, 25 miles away from Galilee, and he finds himself there. And so not only does he find himself there, he finds himself there because he's trying to get away from all the people that know everything that he's done because the intent, by the way that this passage sounds, it says, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know he, he went to get away for at least a little while, whether it was to recharge, to unplug, to unwind. I don't know. He went there. We've seen it happen again when he went to free, feed the multitude. Um, he didn't go to feed the multitude. He actually went to a quiet and desolate place so that he and the disciples could rest, yet everybody found him. And so in this place, whether it was an issue of Jesus emptying himself of certain parts of his divinity, choosing not to know certain things, which will wreck your brain to choose not to know certain things, maybe he was just choosing not to know that people we're going to recognize him when he got there. But either way, the intent, go away, get away, go to a house, chill, unwind, that kind of thing. But the problem was, or the issue that we see is even these people, non-Jewish people, non-monotheistic, non-the one true God people, pagan by all regards, most likely Greek-speaking non-Jewish people, they had heard about the things that Jesus had done. They had heard about the healings, they had heard about the demons, they had heard about the teachings with authority, everything that we've been looking at in the book of Mark so far. They had heard about all these things. They were bordering these people um, and not of the same culture, not of the same tribe, not of the same thought or worship, but they had heard about this carpenter from Galilee who had done crazy, crazy things. And so when he goes there, even to get away, it says he, he couldn't. He couldn't get away. And it says immediately when he got there, verse 25, one of Mark's favorite transliterated words, uh, but immediately a woman whose little daughter, who had an unclean spirit, heard of him, came and fell down at his feet. And so before we get to that, let's, let's identify a couple things about this person. Number one, um, it says that she's a Gentile. By Gentile, all that means, literally a blanket term, is just someone that's not Jewish. Someone that's not Jewish. Uh, In this place, it says that she's a Syro-Phoenician, which means that she was from Phoenicia, but influenced by the culture of Syria. Syria had a a northern kingdom and kind of a southern kingdom, and so this is kind of distinguishing she's from, like, the Phoenician side, not the lower African side. And so we know that she's a couple things. She's she's Greek-speaking, she's a woman, and she's she's Gentile. She's non-Jewish. And so, like, to be honest, even in that statement, she's got multiple strikes against her as it pertains to talking to a rabbi. Like Jewish rabbis of this day, number one, Jewish. Number two, rabbis, they wouldn't talk to a couple types of people one-on-one. They wouldn't talk to a Gentile. 
someone that was non-Jewish because that was not their job and they were looked down upon so they didn't want to look at them, talk to them, be near them because they would become ceremonially unclean if they did. Number two, they wouldn't talk to a woman. They, just, they wouldn't because in that culture, in that time, they, they were unapproachable. Women talked to women, but women didn't talk to male rabbis. It just it did not happen. And so immediately we see that this woman was, by all regards, according to the oral law of Jewish tradition at this point, she was completely untouchable. She was out of bounds. Do not go near. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Don't go near her. Just stay away. But this is the woman that comes to Jesus. And so there is a parallel that we need to see of to what he said last week or two weeks ago when Andrew taught, probably just a couple days past in the text and timeline-wise, and what is actually being shown and revealed uh, today. And so this Gentile, this Syrophoenician woman, uh, she also displayed a couple things when she came near. Even though she was out of bounds, out of reach, uh, you know, should not be approaching a Jewish rabbi, um, there's a couple things that she also revealed which are, are pretty interesting. It says that she comes, she was a Gentile, Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But before that, it says that uh, she had an unclean spirit. She came and fell down at his feet. We see two characteristics of this woman pretty quickly, too. We see, one, she was desperate, and two, she was humble. She was desperate, and she was humble. Um, and as a matter of fact, she actually does something that had not come up uh, in uh, this in, the, in the, the context of Mark, which we'll get to in a minute, of all the people in the crowd, maybe she knew a little more than the rest, but it was just by hearing the things that Jesus had done, the authority that he had displayed, she heard that he was near, and she's like, I'm desperate. I'm going to throw myself down at his feet, and I'm going to tell him what's going on. My daughter, she has a demon, and I need your help. And so from the outset, even before we get to the statement, like there's already going to be tension because we want to point out, like in this passage, in this context, like there's, there's two types of people right now that are around Jesus. There's two very distinctly different types of people. One, represented by the 12. Those 12 disciples who were following Jesus everywhere, listening to everything that he said, watching everything that he did. But then, since he had left his home base of operations, he was also surrounded by uh, non-Jewish people, Gentile people, people that would be called pagan, people that would be called unclean, people that were not worshiping Yahweh, the one true God, people that didn't know the word Elohim, people that were not talking about the goodness of God. No, they had idols. No, they had work. They had all these other things. Two completely, vastly different groups of people. Completely, vastly groups, different groups of people. And so she comes, she throws herself down at Jesus' feet. She says, my daughter, she has a demon, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And this is what Jesus says. He says, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let's remove emotion from, from this for a second. Here's what he's saying. I need to feed the Jewish people first. Um, and it's not right for me to take bread out of their mouth and give it to non-Jewish people. Okay, that's the very sterile, very just kind of, you know, factual statement that he just made. Okay, but the implications, if we actually attach the real words to it and the emotions to it, like it, it probably sounds pretty offensive, pretty offensive. Now, a ton of people have read this, like people with a lot, of more, lot more letters after my, their name than I have after mine, and, and they want to read it and they're like, no, 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 we can explain this. We can explain it. Let me tell you how we can explain it. Number one, Jesus wasn't speaking Aramaic. He was speaking Greek. He was. He was speaking Greek to a Greek audience. And he didn't use the word, uh, he didn't use the word that means dog in Greek. No, no, no. In Koine Greek, he, he used the word that meant little dog. So it wasn't nearly as offensive as it sounds. He was talking about puppies. Everybody loves puppies. 
And everybody does, like, to be honest, everybody does love puppies. Like, my parents just got a new puppy. We went to see it the night before last. And it is. It's sweet. You like their breath. You don't mind them biting you. It's great. Everybody loves puppies. But the problem is, in Greek, in Koine Greek, in that time, it wouldn't have mattered. She was, still being, she was still being referred to as a dog. Her people were still being referred to as a dog. So we're not going to give that one a whole lot of credence, even though a lot of people did a ton of work, a ton of work to go to the work, to the, go to the work and say, no, 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 he, he didn't say dog, he said little dog, diminutive dog even, the dog that would fit under a table. So, okay, there is that option. Second option why he's saying this is he was just talking about the ministry the way it looked to him right now. He was, you know, because to be honest... Like, yes, salvation did come to the Jews, through the Jews, for the rest of the world. Like, that's the way that it worked. From Abrahamic covenant, Abrahamic covenant all the way forward. God looked at Abraham. He said, look, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make you great nations. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to multiply. And not only will you and your people be blessed, but all people will be blessed through you. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, Moses, David, Solomon, to Jesus. Like, yes, all the people were blessed throughout all of creation, all of time, through the line of the Jews. Yes. That was true. That was true. And even, even Paul later, he's like, yes, salvation does. Like uh, proto first, but not in order of preeminence or importance, but just by order of order, salvation does come to the Jews first and then to everyone else. Like that's, that's a factual statement. But still, there's this, this idea, like you're, you're calling a group of people dogs. And so we do need to take the things that we know about Jesus and begin to apply them to this. Like, have we ever looked at Jesus do a couple, have a couple things happen? Number one, has he ever let a conversation get out of his control? No, we've never seen that in Scripture, so we're letting the things that we know inform what we don't know. Number two, um, has he ever just downright insulted someone other than the super-religious? Now, he did get lippy with the religious, but they needed it from time to time. Like, he flipped some tables, literally, figuratively, all of the above. He did that. This woman's not that, okay? So we're taking what we know, what we've seen, let it inform what we don't. Have we ever seen him do that? No, we haven't. So what else might it be? Matthew tells us a little more about this passage. Like, it's great to have the synoptic gospels because they're all being uh, spoken from a different seat, kind of a different chair. And it's almost like, you know, if somebody sits here, somebody sits in the middle, somebody sits over there, and we're all watching the same thing, everybody gets just a slightly different picture based on vantage point, and they're going to tell it with just slightly different details. Same story, but just slightly different. In Matthew 15, we have Matthew's very Jewish account of what is going on here. And in Matthew's very Jewish account, we learn that the woman came to the 12 disciples first, and she was begging them. And the 12 disciples, they go to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, Send this woman away. Send her away. Syrophoenician, woman, Gentile, send her away. And then Jesus speaks. I think, and hold on to your socks or your sandals today, I think Jesus said what he said for the disciples. I think he knew what she was going to say. And I think he knew what she was going to respond. I think he knew the ache of her heart and the leaning of her heart. Number one, she came to this guy that she should not approach. She knew that. And not only did she come to this guy, but she didn't come with pride and arrogance. She came with humility, threw herself down at his feet, didn't offer any explanation except the humility of being face first in front of this guy. And in just a minute, she actually calls him Lord. First time it appears in the book of Mark, be it in Greek, probably lowercase l, but actually there's a lot going on there. I think Jesus said this for the disciples. 
Because we've talked about it before. Jesus is the king of multitaskers, and there were two groups of people here right now. There were the disciples, and then there were the Gentiles. And of the Gentiles, it was this one woman that was speaking to Jesus, but I think he said it because he was still teaching the disciples. He was still training them. He was still molding them. He was still shaping them for the purpose of salvation comes to the Jews through the Jews for the rest of the world. And what he was doing in his 12 disciples, he was building the church at that moment in this place, in this time, so that when he left, they could take the gospel, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth so that all may know. I think the intent of his statement was so that the disciples could hear. But I think he knew where their heart was too because their heart just declared, send her away. She's driving us crazy. So he says it. And he says what all of the culture would have been thinking. What all of the Jewish culture, if they had removed themselves and placed themselves in this Gentile culture, they would have all looked down on this woman, every single one. They would have been like, you're a Gentile dog. Not only that, you're a woman. You need to go. The disciples had just said it. So I think he said it for their benefit, for their growth, for their doctrinal development, if we want to use multisyllabic words. So he says to her, let the children be fed first. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Number two, there's also a connotation of that to, to make it sound like that the grace that Jesus offers has a limit, that it could run out. I think if we apply the rest of what we know about Jesus, we know that he's not finite in his ability to display grace. He's not finite in his ability to save all people that come to know him by grace through faith. And so even if this passage is echoing the current sentiments of the current culture, I don't think it's actually echoing truth. I think it's echoing what the disciples felt. So he makes a statement, waiting for her response. It says, but she answered, verse 28, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs, even the diminutive small dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And so he throws out the cultural sentiment of we need to start with the Jews and then go to the rest. And she says, yes, but we're all going to benefit. And so a lot of people are going to look at this, like liberal theologians are going to look at this, and they're going to like, well, Jesus was bested in an argument. I got a problem with that statement. I do. Like even the canoe idea that we see in Philippians, where Jesus loosed himself of certain rights of his divinity, and there were situations where he went to a place that he didn't know what was going to happen. He willingly chose that, which again, you know, blow your mind. Uh, I, I think Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen here. I think he already knew the intent of her heart. But he knew the intent of the heart of the disciples, too, and he was going to correct them and set them straight in the moment by her response. Because he looks at her in, in Matthew, he uses the word, whoa, your faith. That's amazing. He looks at her here, and he says, for this statement, for what you have said, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home, and she found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Because she believed that he could do it. She believed that he could do it. She actually believed that he could do it before he said anything. Her faith wasn't grown in a moment based upon his amazing demonstrative words that he threw out. No, no, no. He said something that by all accounts should be incredibly offensive. And she said, yes, it does come through the Jews, but we're all going to benefit. She knew. She got it. It was the disciples that were in the dark. And by her example, a Gentile woman who had no reason to believe in Jesus, I would love to have seen their faces. I would have loved. Now, now, granted, I probably would have been the same dude. Like, there was a Matthew in this crowd. There's a Matthew right here. I probably would have been him. 
Like, I probably would have been the one, hey, send her away. Yeah, send her away. She, she's a Gentile. She's a woman. She has no right to come and ask you for anything. Just, Jesus, make her go away. I would have probably been that same dude with the same look on my face as theirs when he did that. And I would have probably been like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Intentionally provocative to draw a very specific response, I think is why Jesus said what he said. Intentionally provocative to elicit a specific response, not so much for her, but for them. And I, like, I, have, like, I haven't dreaded this passage, but I've been thinking about it for a long time, and I'm like, why? Why, Jesus, would you say this? Because he had 12 men he had to train. He had 12 men he had to train. That even though he just told them days ago, it's not what you eat that defiles you. It's what comes out of your mouth because it comes from your heart. That food is clean. He also needed to remind them here, just like I've made all food clean, I'll make all people clean too. I can do that. It's under my purvey. They needed to hear it. They needed to hear it. I think it's incredibly important for us to, number one, try to put ourselves in two different groups of people's shoes in this passage. Like, number one, I think we need to be able to put ourselves in the woman's shoes because I don't know if I'm going to give this away or not, but you're not Jewish, most of you. But I'm pretty sure none of you are. I don't know for a fact, but I'm pretty sure none of you, at least culturally, you're not Jewish. So we need to hear exactly what he was trying to tell the disciples. Like, we need to feel it. We need to understand it, that Jesus' offer of grace, yeah, it's available to all. Now, it did. It did. It completely started with the Jewish people. And, and here's a couple rational reasons why. Number one, they had an understanding of who God was. Like, if God was going to send someone to be a messenger to people, and, and, and my, the, the least amount of grunt work possible, it would be the people that already worshipped his father that called his father God, um, just like he did, although he attached the idea of fatherhood to him, like he needed to go to them. And so, yes, salvation, it started with them, through them, but to the rest of the world. And so there's that understanding. Yes, but it does go. We all can reap the benefits, but none of us, none of us are in that initial family. Like if it is by grace through faith that we know Jesus, we all have to understand that we've all, we have been grafted in, grafted Spirit of adoption, that we get to call God dad with affection, but with reverence at the same time. Like, that's us. We all need to hear the exact same thing that this woman understood. We're all going to benefit from the crumbs of Jesus. Like, yeah, I'm going to set a table. Like, this is Jesus. I'm setting a table for my children, my Jewish children, right? And they're going to devour it. They're going to eat it up, and the crumbs are going to fall. But even one of those little bitty crumbs of grace, it is so good. So good that it can save me. Just a crumb of grace. We need to hear it. We need to understand it. We need to be able to identify with this woman who was outside of this cultural family, outside of this genetic family, outside of this first people, that the offer of Christ is available to me if we just confess and believe. If we just confess and believe. We confess our sin. We choose Jesus instead of that, confess him as Lord, and believe that his life, his death, his resurrection, and his very words are able to make me right with God, God Almighty, who created every little bitty thing. The gospel can be realized by all people. But we also need to place ourselves in the shoes of the disciples. So place ourselves in the shoes of the woman. Man, it's available. 
It's available, but we need to place ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, and this is what we need to hear, the same thing they heard. Salvation's not just for you. This offer of grace, it's not just for you. It's not just for me. The disciples at this point, they had a very egocentric idea of what Jesus was and who he was and that he was coming to a specific group of people and it was just for Jerusalem, it was just for the people of God, it was just for those people who were called out, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joshua, all the way down the line to Jesus. Yeah, they thought, yeah, it's just by me. Send this woman away. She's not worthy. You say, I don't think that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Do you know the proof that knows that I think that way? Because there are days when I go to a complete stranger that I can sense that they need to hear the goodness and the gospel of Jesus, and I keep my mouth shut. It is the exact same thing that the disciples were feeling in this very moment. Salvation's for me. It's not for you. And Jesus, just in the most beautiful fashion, just confronted that. He said, no, 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 no. All who will believe, regardless of where they came from, regardless of what they did yesterday, regardless of what they did two minutes from now, salvation is available for all. And when we choose to remain silent, it's exactly what we show that we don't believe that. And this isn't to elicit guilt. No, no, no. It's just to make us understand that the gospel has been granted to us on behalf of Christ so that we may take it to all people. All people. That all, like we talk about all in Greek, you know what it means in English? All, same thing, same word, no way around it. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, just to people that look like you, though. Doesn't say that anywhere. Just to people that vote like you, doesn't say that. Just to people that think like you, doesn't say that. Just to people that celebrate the same collegiate sports team as you, doesn't say that either. I know that sounds really stupid, but a lot of people hate you know, rivals. But anyway, it's just funny. God loves Gamecocks too. And Tigers, Wolverines, whatever. I don't know who all we have represented here. But all those people, yeah, God loves them too. He wants them to hear about grace. He wants them to hear that his salvation's available for them, just like it was available to me, just like it was available to you. Man, our religious hearts display themselves in some very odd, peculiar ways. And most often, I think the most disturbing way that it displays itself is we get selfish with the gospel and believe it's just for me. People like me. People that think like me, people that look like me. These people won't understand because they're not like me. By the way, the gospel's not based on understanding. The gospel's based on the very salvific work of Jesus, granted by grace through faith. It has nothing to do with how eloquent I am or you are. It has to do with the work of God that man cannot recreate. If it would be recreatable by man, we would all brag, and Paul says we can't. They spoke volumes to that woman. Spoke volumes to that woman. But I think he probably silenced the disciples with conviction. To let them know the, the way that you're feeling right now, the way that you think, is not okay. It's not okay. And it's not the way I feel, and it's not the way I think, according to Jesus. And then just as a beautiful byproduct, the woman's daughter is no longer possessed. <laughs> like, it'd be easy to skip over that, just this idea that this woman came, and her belief directed her, A, to be incredibly humble, B, to go against the culture that this guy was from, C, to believe that he could do something that only he could do, but then amazingly... 
he did it without even going near only in Mark, it's the only place that that's going to happen. Now, in the other Gospels, there's some other places, centurion servants and that kind of thing. But here, man, the only place we're going to see it, here. Hey, you're going to go home. I'm not even going to see your daughter. I'm not even going to touch your daughter. I'm not going to sprinkle anything on her. I'm not going to slap her with anything. She's just going to be fine. You're going to go home. You're going to find her resting in a bed, demon gone. That's crazy. And if we start with there and see the beauty in that, then the rest of the stuff just kind of falls into place. I think we'd love to make it about the dog comment, but I think here's what it is for us. Number one, do we truly believe that God can save anybody? Like, do we believe that? Like, do we believe that the neighbor that lives across the street, um, who puts different signs in their yards than we do, do we believe God can save them? Do we believe that the coworker that worships maybe a God by a different name, do we believe God can save them? Um, do we believe that, man, do we believe that God can save that family member that we've seen the history? We know them intimately. We know their vitriol. We know their anger. We know their opposition to, opposition to all things church-related. Do we believe that God can save them? Here's proof that we do. We don't send them away. As a matter of fact, we do the opposite. We invite them in. And I'm not talking about to this. This is fine. You invite them in here, that's great. That's awesome. Do that. But we invite them into our lives. Invite them in so that we can hear their story. They can hear ours. What rests in ours is the gospel of Jesus, that he actually redeemed me and pulled me out of my sin, placed me in his kingdom, and he can do it for them too. We don't send them away. We invite them in. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? The disciples had to. And Jesus systematically was making sure that they did, that they did. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for uh, just an odd passage that speaks so clearly and loud if we're listening well. God, I pray that your spirit uh, confronts our religious hearts, maybe our, our, our prideful, possessive religious hearts, that we believe that salvation is great for me. But God, I pray that you would allow us to see through the eyes of Jesus when we see our neighbors, when we see our coworkers, when we see our family members, when we see uh, maybe the person that we get gas from every single week, multiple times a week right now, that we would see them and we would understand that you died for them too, for them to have a chance to believe and have hope. And God, we wouldn't send people away. We would invite them in. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's inconvenient, inconvenient, Sometimes, God, even when it's messy, we would invite them in. Because salvation is that good. It's that good. Even to confront someone, God, that's outside of the social norms, outside of our general construct of who is acceptable and who is not, God, the gospel can be for them too. Thank you, God, for the, the chance at hope that does not rest on our merit, that does not rest on our culture, that does not rest on our DNA, but it rests in you, in your love, in your display of grace. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his example. And God, thank you that he continues to shape us and mold us into disciples that are loving him, following him, but are also on mission with him and through him. 
God, we love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.